You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Les Bertarian, the only place for liberty-loving muff divers and muff diving enthusiasts. Join us this week as we tear apart the political binary and take a look at issues through the lens of non-aggression and reason. I'm your host, Kim Shannon. Throw on your flannel, rent your U-Haul, and let's get this thing started. Greetings, folks. The following is an interview I just recently did with Mike Meharry of the Godarchy podcast. Go ahead and check it out and let me know what you think. You can reach me on Twitter, Lesbitarian, Instagram, Lesbitarian, lesbertarian at gmail.com or search out lesbertarian on facebook all right guys until next time enjoy this interview you are listening to the godarchy podcast where we shove a crowbar between state and church this is the spot where christian faith intersects with libertarian anarchism and voluntarism i'm your host mike meharry in this episode i'm going to have a fireside chat with the lesbian Greetings to everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Godarchy podcast. As always, I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show. I've got a really, really good interview for you today. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I'm going to be talking to Kim Shang. Uh, I've known Kim for quite a while on Facebook. This is actually the first time we've talked in person. We've been interacting for, gosh, a couple of years. And Kim is a super cool voluntarist. Uh, she's a Christian. She is also happens to be black, and she also happens to be a lesbian. And I've been wanting to talk to her for a while, and, and things kind of came together, and we were able to, to get together and chat. Just a really interesting discussion, really fascinating person. And, and I think you'll hear from the discussion that uh, she is very— uh, she's very committed to making the world a better place and— in my never-to-be-humble opinion, we could use a whole lot more of that. All right, so Kim is here. Kim, how are you, my friend? Thanks for uh, being on the show. I am doing well. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. You know, it's kind of cool. We've we've known each other on Facebook for a pretty long time, and I don't think we've ever actually talked before. I, I think you're you're right. I've been following a lot of your stuff uh I think I discovered you when I was looking around at the Tenth Amendment Center and all of that, and then eventually you did the Thoughts from the Meharry Head, and I loved that podcast. So, that, yep, and then I started stalking you on Facebook, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really do appreciate you coming on. I wanted to talk a little bit, just kind of to start off and ask how you are handling the uh, coronavirus lockdown. Oh, oh, boy, it's been interesting because, I mean— I guess I'm quote unquote an essential worker yes. being a network engineer. People can't really work from home if the network isn't working. Right. So I still get to go in on Friday. So it's nice that the government has allowed me to go outside on Friday <laughs> right. to do my job. Yes, you have permission. <laughs> yeah. But I I live by myself, so I mean, and I'm pretty much an introvert, so that part hasn't changed. I still sit around reading books after work. Right. But it's been interesting. I'm very lucky during this whole thing that uh, my mom, this was, this is going to be fun to explain. Basically, my mom and her 
husband and my brother and my nephews live in the same apartment complex, uh-huh. not together. We all just tended to move together when we fell on hard times like five years ago and didn't leave. Uh, yeah. And she has stage four cancer. So yeah. I would probably be going crazy if uh, I wasn't able to at least, you know, knock on the door and say hi. Uh, because for her, even if there wasn't COVID-19 going around, you know, you can't touch somebody constantly that has stage four cancer. So it's nice to at least be able to wave to her. Yeah, it's interesting because we're in a similar situation. Uh, my mom also has cancer. And, um we don't live in the same apartment complex, but we are only about 20 minutes apart. And, and Florida hasn't been nearly as draconian as some places in terms of, you know, we don't have a, we don't really have a shelter in place, at least not in any kind of enforceable way. So I, I've been thankful for that too, to be close to my mom. And, and uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, you know, for me, it, it's been interesting because I'm like you, I work from home anyway. So it hasn't changed my work life and I'm kind of an introvert. My wife and I are both homebodies. So, you know, the biggest changes for me is I can't go play hockey and I can't go to the gym, which in the big scheme of things aren't really that big a deal. But I have found that this has been much more of a, of a psychological burden and struggle for me than I ex- would have expected it would have been. And I think a lot of it's just because I resent so much these people telling me what I can and can't do. Oh yeah, that the the Karens. I'm sorry, that's misogynistic yes. to call them Karens, <laughs> but they're everywhere. Las Vegas also isn't as locked down as some other places. They're still. I went out today uh, just to go to the ATM, and there was maybe there maybe two people with masks on at the point. And I mean, my job didn't require it until now because they're doing the whole staged rollout of opening up right. the uh, economy. And so, of course, they're asking us if we have masks. And I'm just thinking, uh, I have a mask. I didn't say I was going to wear it, but I have yeah. one. <laughs> I've got a, uh, a, a tactical hood that's for like, you know, like military. Like, so it goes over my whole head and covers my nose. The only thing that shows is my eyes. And I swear if they do mandatory masks, you know, I'm putting that thing on. Oh, yeah. That, I was thinking getting all sorts of weird masks. And be like, you said a mask, it's covering my face. Here you right, go. And just right. walk around with that. You got to get a, uh, we, we got to get like uh, the uh, the V mask, you know, V for Vendetta, and then put like a surgical mask over the mouth hole. Actually, that sounds a great idea. I might do that too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's been weird. It's just, like I said, it's, it's the, it's not that my life has changed all that much, but it's the fact that, you realize just how much these central planners and the government people actually have over your life. I mean, you wake up one day and all of a sudden you can't go to a damn restaurant and it's just, it's disconcerting and weird. Weird. And even more weird that there is a gigantic contingent of people that just cheer that on. They need that daddy government to take care of them. And, and if you decide that you want to have a job, say to be able to pay for your mother's chemo treatments and all of that, well, you want people to die. I was just like, I'm going to die over here. If exactly. I can't eat your food, then my mom's going to die over here. So I need to be able to work. Yeah, and that's one of the things I've I've talked about. And I've tried to be, I, I try to be nice on social media. And, and, you know, I've got a lot of quote-unquote normies on, on my personal Facebook page. So I kind of, you know, I kind of go easy. But I have been trying to really emphasize the fact that the economy is life-sustaining. I stole that from Kerry Baldwin, um, and, but it really is. And you know, 
there's trade-offs and everything, right? So there's there's the trade-off between safety and living your life in everything that we do. And um, I, I don't feel like that people have really taken account the costs of all of this nearly to the extent that they should have. Yeah, and I apologize for whoever's bumping the ghetto rap outside. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love quarantine and the amount of people that are around. <laughs> right. But... I the one of the things there was a a tweet that I saw earlier in the I forgot the name of the author because apparently she took it down but she was saying oh well why I guess why can't you people you're just so so into capitalism that you can't just sit around and take your uh, your paid income from the government until this thing blows over like that's just what it is like it's just that simple i'm thinking no guys this is an entirely different thing you're not realizing the fact that we shouldn't be able to we shouldn't have a situation where the government can do this to us right that they can just say okay you can't leave because even when this blows over they're not forgetting about any of this they're never going to forget that they can just tell us all to stay in the, in in our homes and that they won't even have to really police it exactly because other people will tell you to get back into your your house. It's crazy. So do you, let me ask you this. Do you think that it's hyperbole to say that you can look at the way a lot of people have responded to this and say, you know, I understand how Nazi Germany happened? Like, I've thought that. I haven't said it out loud until this moment. But, I mean, I, I really do. The, the way people are, if you don't toe the line, if you don't, go with what the government is telling you to do, then they will literally call the cops on you. No, I actually, I don't, I don't think it's hyperbole because we're, I think this is most likely the mindset people had. There was a certain thing of, okay, the government is supposed to be for our our good. They're looking out for us, which is strange to me that a lot of uh, people who are anti-Trump and especially on the far left are always talking about how Trump is terrible, this is a dangerous government, but as soon as this virus hit, okay, well, you guys don't trust this guy that you claim told you to um, drink right. <laughs> cleaning products, right. you claim, and but we're supposed to trust daddy government. I'm like, you guys don't see how this is a cognitive dissonance that you say that this is the most dangerous government. They called Trump Hitler for the longest time, but as soon as the virus happens, all of a sudden we should trust government it just doesn't make any sense. They're all corrupt, every single one of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I've kind of, I've, I've said this before on on past episodes, as far as the virus goes, I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I'm not, I'm not, oh my God, we're all going to die. But I'm also not, it's just the flu. Like, I recognize that there <clears throat> are serious health consequences to this for a lot of people, particularly vulnerable populations. I just question whether or not the, the steps that the government has taken are appropriate for the level of danger of this particular virus. And also what really frustrates me is that, you know, I'm in a pretty rural County and I think we've had 50 cases total in the entire County. So really the things that we need to do here to protect ourselves are a lot different than the things you would need to do in New York city. And yet we have these policymakers that think they can centrally control and have these one size fits all uh, solutions, and that's the whole problem with with government in general. You get this whole monopoly mentality, and it, you know this is going to work for everybody, and everybody must do this because this is the great way that we have decided. And it doesn't work for most of the time. It doesn't work for anybody, if we're really honest. But 
um, the, you know, the whole centralization and the whole one size fits all and the whole, uh, you know, you must do this because this is the blanket policy just just rankles me. And I guess that's why I've had such a difficult time dealing with this psychologically because it's just every time I get on Facebook, I'm angry. I've gotten to where on the weekends, I just try to stay off of it. It's a smart move. I mean, the what's really getting to me is the unintended consequences. Everybody is talking about, oh, if it saves one life, we should just lock this down. I just found out today that um, a, a couple that I used to go to church with, and spoiler alert, it was a church filled with a bunch of gay people. Yeah. And he and his husband were in California. They're quarantined there, and he was supposed to get a double lung transplant. Well, that's apparently not essential surgery that they could be having. Like, like the guy was asking for, I don't know, boob implants or something like that. Right. Like, it's was it elective surgery or whatever? Yeah. And he and he died. Oh so gosh. the unintended unintended consequences. People are like, I'm like, I've already lost somebody. I've lost somebody close to me. That's one life, and that was because of this quarantine and because people mm. are hyping it up that he ended up losing his life. Well, and let's be honest, that's a retarded thing to say. Oops, I'm not supposed to say retarded. We've already gone off the politically correct rails twice. But, I mean, nobody really believes that. Because if you actually believe if you can just save one life, then nobody would ever get in an automobile. Very true. I mean, you know, I mean, we, we recognize that every time we get an automobile, we not only take our lives into our hands, but we take the lives of, because I could, you know, my phone could ring and I could look down and I could hit, you know, there's all kinds of things. So nobody really believes that. It's just this weird rhetoric that people use really to shut down any kind of debate, which, you know, it's, it's in the same line of, you know, you want grandma to die and, and all of those ridiculous things. And I pray to God I never use any of that silliness. Yeah, it, for one, I was just thinking, well, Grandma shouldn't be leaving. What right. the, she's the one who should be quarantined. What are you even talking about? My mom, we make sure she she gets on her mask and everything, and she goes to her chemo treatment and then straight home. Right. That's how we're keeping her safe. And then I and her husband go out so we can work. Yeah, That's how it goes. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure that when you're around her, you take you know extreme precautions and, and you do all of the types of things that an uh, intelligent person would do around a vulnerable person like just like we do with my mom um, because you know we uh, amazingly we don't need Donald Trump to tell us to be careful around our sick mothers <laughs> yeah, whatever would we do if we didn't have supreme leader here yes. <laughs> to tell us to do things <laughs> so where did you come from to uh, I don't know how you, I mean, I usually use the term voluntarist, even though nobody knows what that is, but anarchist, ANCAP, whatever term you want to use. Did you, you came from the left, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I came from the super far left. I was probably a few steps away from communist at that point. Um, I actually didn't become a libertarian. That was the first step. Right. Until about October 2015, after... I realized that, you know what, I was getting tired of being a Democrat because I, the funny story was, as a new Christian, I was actually leaned more Republican at the time and voted for Bush. And then, you know, 9-11 happened and, oh, you <laughs> you did too? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry as well. And then I uh, saw the the wars that started up from that. And then, of course, you get into college and they liberalize the crap out of you right. and in public education so i became a far left socialist and then realized when i like they elected the first black president he let me down too because yeah. the war still continued so 
that was when somebody talked to me uh, about libertarianism and I started looking it up and found out it's actually not a philosophy that's just filled with a bunch of white neck bearded men. Found there was a lot of diversity if you love freedom and liberty and actually is the most individual, it's about the individual. But of course, it took, I'm that joke that uh, what's the difference between a libertarian and an anarchist six about months? Six months, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think a lot of that came and it was probably the process was sped up because I was silly enough to run for office and that'll just ruin all politics for you at any point. And yes, I was just like, forget it. Imagine. This makes no sense. I don't see why this is important. Never mind. I forget it. Anarchist now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's how we can, that's how we can move some of these, uh, some of these libertarians the rest of the way. We'll have a run for office. It's a good <laughs> idea. I like it. Yeah. So I came, yeah, I came from the opposite side of the spectrum. I came from the right, but, uh, Kind of the same thing. It was that step from libertarianism, and I you mentioned the Tenth Amendment Center um, early on. That's kind of one of the ways you you and I connected, and and so that's how I got into the quote unquote liberty movement. And I went from constitution to anarchist, and uh, of course everybody knows I still do the constitution stuff because I think there's some value in it in the political system. But I can never run for office. Nobody would ever vote for me, so because I would say something, <laughs> I would say retarded in the first in the first campaign speech, and then I would get unpersoned. And then they have to say you were a Trumper. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, the funny thing was that we have that in common. Of course, you would probably get that clue because I was looking at the Tenth Amendment Center. But I went from far leftist to constitutional conservative minarchist right. first, and then when you realize that. You know, it was a decently written document, more so the Bill of Rights. And then you realize, and you look at all all of politics and the way the federal government works, and even local and state government, and you just realize this thing isn't actually working. This little paper isn't stopping anybody. Exactly. Yeah. That's and yeah, that's part of the reason that I I wrote a book about the Constitution that I just actually published not too long ago. And that's part of the reason I did it is to show this is what you're supposed to have, and this is what we got. <laughs> And, uh, you know, creates a little cognitive dissonance for people, so that's good. Um, so I'm going to tell you kind of a funny story. I was talking to my wife, uh, actually, just, just the other day. I was telling her about that I was going to interview you. and She was joking that when she worked in the corporate world, that she was told that she was almost untouchable in the corporate world because she's a black woman. And her boss used to tell her, if you would just go to bat for the other team, then you'd be, you know, you'd be completely bulletproof. I, I thought that was amusing, but so I'm, I'm curious how you've navigated the issues of race and your sexuality uh, as, as kind of you've moved through this political world. And then I kind of want to touch on the spiritual aspect of it. But I, I get the feeling from interacting with you, you're not, you know, you're not overly sensitive about uh, there's a racist behind every corner. How, how kind of how did that evolve for you? It. I think it actually came from becoming a libertarian because the first thing I asked when I joined a libertarian group was, why are there so many white men around? Goodness, can't believe I asked that one. Uh, right. um, but it was just sitting back and realizing that a lot of the stuff I was taught on the left, the identity politics, was just a means to keep minorities in the hands of the Democrats. Yeah. And that there aren't as many racist people as we'd like to think there, I mean, of course there are, and right. we're talking racist people of all sorts. They're not just talking black and white people, sure. but the more I started to realize that I, 
just removed the wool from over my eyes and saw, wait a minute, this, this is crazy. And it's a part of the reason why, uh, I guess it could be called my shtick. I do make a lot of jokes about being a black lesbian. Yeah. And it's mainly just to kind of gently prod people, you know, make it a little less harmful and then come with the truth, just kind of make jokes and open them up and then kind of try to get this dialogue going about being black and gay and how identity politics isn't what we should be using as a weapon uh, we need to focus on the individual as an individual. So right. it's that's probably why I'm not very sensitive about it. I do use it as a tool, a teaching tool. Yeah, actually, that's one of the things that I love about you. And, and it really drives home the fact that we are all individuals. And I hate it, and my wife hates it, when people pigeonhole an entire race of people that you should be this. And, you know, it's not like all black people are the same. <laughs> any more than all white people are the same. And, you know, I, I've used this analogy before. My wife grew up in rural West Virginia, and, uh, you know, she has much more in common with a hillbilly in eastern Kentucky than she did does uh, an African-American kid who grew up in the ghetto in, Cincinnati, you know, Chicago or something. Uh, just very different worldviews. But everybody wants to just put everybody in these in these giant groups. And again, like you said, it's really for political gains and to uh, harness those those groups and that identity politics to empower politicians. And you know that always ends up going bad for all of us. Oh yeah, and you're definitely right there. I mean, you have a lot of black people that when upon seeing them. They're supposed to be, I guess, this stereotype, this hypnosis that we see on TV. But then even looking around my neighborhood, you've got other people who are engineers like me. You've right. got all sorts of different people with different upbringings and some people with the same upbringings that just kind of grew out of where right. they, yeah, they're just very different. Yeah, we're all individuals. We're, we're all uh, have our own backgrounds and beliefs and and all of those things and i think it does you know i get frustrated on both sides of the equation you know i get frustrated in in the identity politics of the left but the right has its own brand of identity politics as well and uh you know that's the that's the there is no racism and if you even you know are mention something like that then you're just uh you know virtue signaling or something and and that bothers me too because like you said there are there there are racist out there and there are racist things that that happen to people but um i don't know can't we can't let that drive our lives because uh, we drive ourselves crazy yeah and in the end i at this point it's pretty much them against us the politicians yeah, against our freedom right so if anything the people we should be discriminating against would be the government yeah i'm i'm, I'm not i'm not having a problem with that i'm good with that yeah <laughs> let's discriminate against the politicians so, how have uh, so you're a Christian? How did you come to faith? Uh, it was when I was about sixteen. My mom, I think she did it the right way. She took me and my brother to church while we were younger. We hit about the age of thirteen, and that's when she said, "If you don't feel like going, you can roll over and go back to sleep. And if you do, you can come with me." And for my brother, well, he's still technically rolling over in bed and not going, but right. we're still working on him. Yeah. But about when I was 16 and a half, a friend invited me to church and my mom started going. And the funny thing is, and I know the exact verse most Christians think of when they hear gay Christian, 
that was actually the verse that brought me to Christ. Are you serious? Interestingly enough, yes. You know, Corinthians. And that was 16 and a half, and I was actually really active in the church. I was on the praise and worship team, uh, one of the college-age Sunday school teachers. I was in church Wednesday, Sunday, sometimes Thursday, all sorts of stuff. I was very much into it. So were you already... Had you come to terms with your sexuality at that point? Oh, no, I was heavily in the closet and, and struggling at that point. Um, but I think what ended up happening is about 24, I had a Christian camp of all places. I remember I actually had the biggest crush on another lady that was there who also turned out to be a lesbian, surprisingly <laughs> enough. It's funny. And uh, it didn't end up working out. She lived in an entirely different state, so that was never going to work. Right. But, and, you know, summer camp love, you know, that whole kind of thing. Yeah, I've been there but, doing that. Yeah, all of us pretty much have. But after I came back, I was about 24, I came back and realized that I'm quite gay and I'm not sure if I can do much about that. And the first thing I thought was I was going to lose my relationship with Christ. And this is where I talk about the fact that to me, my entire life I'd been told sin is missing the mark. Sin will separate you from Christ. You won't want to spend time in the word, prayer, prayer. Nothing, nothing like that. That had never been something that I ran into. As soon as there was trouble, I remember rolling around crying with my Bible. When the days are good, Bible. Even this morning, Bible, prayer. That's I can't function. I can't think without it. And of course, there are a lot of theological issues that people have with that. But that is how my walk is. Well, I have a lot of theological issues with a lot of things. So, you know, it's funny because if we had had this conversation when I was 20, I probably would have been trying to convert you and and would have been very judgmental. I probably would have been nice, but judgmental. And, uh, you know, through my own walk, I've struggled with a lot of different things in in my own life. I've gone through a divorce and, and, you know, that's another no-no in a lot of circles. And, you know, we all have to make our way through this life and and figure out um, our relationship with God. And I certainly don't have, I don't understand a lot of things theologically in the Bible, and we don't have to figure those out on our own. And it really bothers me when people want to push others away because, you know, they're not doing the behavior that they think they should approve of. I do a lot of behaviors that I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't approve of, and uh, I have to figure that out and work through that on my own. So... You know, kudos, yeah. kudos to you, and I'm glad that you were able to maintain that relationship. I've got my best friend, or one of my best friends, he was my college roommate, and, and he's gay, and he had the the struggles of, even when we were living together, and of course I had no idea at the time, but but he was struggling with, with his sexuality, and um, when he finally came out, unfortunately there were a number of people in the church that were, uh, I think, well-meaning, but unwittingly cruel, and to this day, it has completely driven him away from his faith. It's driven him away from the church. It's driven him away from a lot of those relationships. And um, it, it's it's sad to see because I don't think that had to happen. And it was really, I think, rooted in the way he was treated. And uh, I, I'm I'm very fortunate and and happy that we we still have a relationship. And I'm not one of the people that ended up getting cut off. But um, you know, it's it's tough stuff, but really, what is our first call? Our first call is to love one another, and so let's do more of that and less judging. 
Yeah, I'm glad you're you're still in his corner and he has somebody to lean on because I think it's important and I still try to to witness. I mean, there is a another uh, Christian lesbian that I know, of course, online because I mean that's where we find our friends these days. It yeah, seems exactly. But she's her and her wife are Christians, and I try to reach out to as many uh, people in the LGBT community, and they. They're just as confused as a lot of the Christians I used to know and was able to hang around right. when I say I'm a Christian. But the thing is, I mean, I don't even blame any Christians because, you know, they're reading the same Bible I'm reading. They're thinking, okay, I see in clear words here, but the ones I respect are the ones who say, okay, I don't agree with your lifestyle, but I love you. And I'm going to keep praying for you and hoping that, and I'm like, okay, you can pray for me. Why would I be like, don't pray for me to, you know, my sexuality to change or whatever. <laughs> pray for me, please. And then while you're praying for that, can you pray for this as well? And right. let me know what I pray for you about. And so it's just, it's never been me trying to force a view on Christians as well. They can believe that my lifestyle is wrong. That's perfectly fine. Right. As long as they're loving and we can love each other. And that's literally how it should be. And that's also why I think, once again, libertarianism is perfect for that kind of viewpoint. Right. Because it is a place where, by and large, it, we, we value the individual above all of the, all of the groups and all of the, uh, the, the pettiness, I think, that you get when you get outside of our ring. So unfortunately we all divide up and fight each other too, but you know, that's all. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> just, we just are a very contentious group as the meme says, yes, but we're individuals. So, it, you know, it stands to reason that, it, you know, it's like a bunch of cats in the same room. Um, you know, we, we, we're all the same, but we, uh, you know, we find little ways to disagree. So how does your faith intersect with your political worldview? I think it, has led me to put a lot of emphasis and value on life. So yes, of course, I'm pro-life. Yeah. And my favorite is you can't seem to ever say to people that you're pro-life and then you say that as libertarian and people are like, oh, how does that even make sense? You should be pro-choice. I'm like, why does everybody think being pro-life means you want the force of law? I can't exactly. just value the life of every human being without saying, hey, government, step in and stop them from killing this, these people. Even with the, with the abortion issue and all that, I'm just saying, no, I don't want to use the law, but I really, really, really wish they would spend more time educating young women on the choices that they have and stop saying the only choice you have to be, uh, to value your body is to do this. And I'm right. thinking, no, 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 there should be several options. And I would love for you to look at all these other options before you make that choice. Yeah. Are you familiar with Carrie Baldwin at all? Sounds familiar, but I don't, I'm not sure. She debated Walter Block on the abortion issue at the uh, Soho Forum, and I interviewed her for the podcast. I'll, I'll pitch that episode for folks that are listening right now if you want a really good uh, Christian, libertarian, pro-life take. Uh, Carrie is fantastic, and she makes the same point. You know, It's not about we want the government to impose a law. It's about philosophically – valuing life and not only the life of the baby but the life of the mother and uh you know beyond that also the lives of um you know people that live overseas that our government deems as enemies <laughs> there's yeah uh, you know there's a uh, there's a lot of uh there's a lot of life to be valued and i get really frustrated with the political religious institution that puts so much emphasis on abortion but is totally pro-war that, that makes no sense oh. to me 
Yeah, if you're or heavily death death penalty, yeah. I was just like, okay, this one issue, but you were fine with blowing up random children in other countries yeah. and putting people to death with that slight chance that the the justice system got it wrong. That that to me, if you're really somebody who is a believer and who is a Christian, you would question that and you would say, no, no, no. We need to value every single life. I mean, it's only up for Christ to judge people. But nope, apparently the government's thinking, okay, country bad, blow them up. Yes. And all of the people, every person that's in that little line that we drew around that country, all of them are bad. Because their government's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's crazy, but a, a lot of it, and it's not even just the emphasis on uh, on life um, that my beliefs lead me, but in a lot of the way I treat people, uh, I've, I mean, as libertarians, we know how harsh each other and other people can get when, especially if you're a libertarian talking to anybody on the left or right, they just start laughing. I even had a friend text me last night about Amash running in our party and just talked about every little goofy thing that the libertarian party has done. Right. And t- witnessing to people about Christ is similar. It's a similar kind of thing. Is that you have to be very patient. Mm. You have to be loving because goodness, most of these people don't make you want to love them for anything because they can be so rude. Yes. But just like I want people to come to Christ, I have to be an example. I have to be like Christ to be loving and patient and kind and listen to them and just try to give my thoughts without saying, okay, you're a complete idiot for what you think. None of those kind of things. And I think you have to do that in politics. You have to be very diplomatic if you want to be effective and you want to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that helps, you know. It, so let me ask you this. Are you, is it easier for you to talk to people in terms of your frustration level and whatnot? Is it easier for you to talk to people on the left or the right? <laughs> this is always fun. Um, I find sometimes, well, until Trump came into office, that I could talk to people on the right a little easier yeah. because for the most part, we had some freedom principles. I mean, they may not have been living it, but they could at least say them and pretend that they agreed. Yeah, I love the First Amendment, right. blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. It was easier, but on the left, especially as soon as they found out that I was a former leftist and being black and a lesbian, they're thinking, why would you vote against your own interests? So I was like, voting at all is against my interests. (laughs) Exactly. Why do you vote? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's funny because for me, I find it a little bit easier to talk to people on the left. And I wonder wonder if it's because the, the place that you came from, you know that they should know better. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so and, and the Trump people, that's their own, they're the, like their own little thing. Like, that's almost this own separate weird little world that yes. I can't wrap my head around at all. I get nasty emails from Trump people all the time. Uh, ironically, a lot of those same people were in the Tea Party back in the day, and they loved the Tenth Amendment Center, but now they think I'm a libtard. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, so so for me, it's easier to deal with it's easier to deal with frustration wise people on the left. I disagree with both, you know, aspects of both sides of the political spectrum equally, but um, I'm more patient with people on the left uh, because I always feel like the, the folks on the right, you know, like you said, they kind of they'll talk the freedom game, and I'm I'm like, well, do it then. <laughs> yeah, live it, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think. You're, you're on to something. You said it a lot more diplomatically than I said it as somebody who was saying that she was diplomatic about things. <laughs> but my, I think it probably is easier to talk to people from the opposite side of where you're at because 
I have this strong dis- disdain now for the left coming from there because they should know better. Yeah. And if they really were about, um, if they were about having the moral high ground and were humans and life first, they wouldn't act the way they do. They wouldn't do the things they do and they wouldn't come to the solutions. That, and the thing is, is, we agree on what the issues are. Right. We just have wrong solutions. And I just, it, it just boggles me. And I guess I just have a strong distaste for the left, probably stronger than most. And there's a lot of people probably listening right now. is like, no, you don't. I could beat you on how much I don't like the left. But I just think it's because that's where I came from that I'm just more judgmental about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I guess some of it, too, it depends on your own personal personal leanings. I think that the the place where I can always where I there are some big issues that I can really resonate with people that are on the left. And I'm not talking about your typical, you know, your Hillary Clinton fake left. I'm talking about your real hardcore leftist uh tend to still be anti-war. They tend to still be anti-surveillance. You know, there's still some element of distrust for the government until there's not. But um, yeah, I guess it's on those issues. That, whereas the 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 right, you know, they're ready to go to war at the drop of a hat. You know, I mean, I've got I've got people that I'm Facebook friends with that are ready to go to war with China because they're convinced that China created the coronavirus. <sighs> and you know, even if they did create the coronavirus, I don't want to go kill a bunch of Chinese people. You know, yeah, it's like their uh, government is already doing enough of that for them, so right, yeah. I don't need to help. Granted, their government's awful, but so is yours. So yeah, <laughs> very true. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like too with you know for for my faith, I feel like that there's a lot of overlap between some really fundamental Christian principles and some very fundamental voluntarist libertarian anarchist principles, like the non-aggression principle. Um, you know, I think the non-aggression principle dovetails perfectly with love your neighbor. You know, you, you don't hit people, you don't take their stuff. And, uh, and and then even more fundamentally, God values each of us as individuals, you know, and, and as libertarians, we value personhood and we value uh, self-ownership and we allow other people to, to self-direct and God allows us to self-direct as well. So, um you know, to to me, there's a lot of of overlap there. I find a lot of uh, very very familiar ground, whether I'm thinking in theological terms or political terms. That actually was one of the other things that grabbed my attention. That made me become a libertarian pretty quickly was the uh, non-aggression principle. And nothing makes me more frustrated than libertarians who try to say that the NAP is useless. But uh, that was to me. I was just thinking, wow. At least these people understand that you shouldn't hurt people, you shouldn't take their stuff, that other people have value that you need to take into account, and I need to be given and imputed that same value. It seems so fundamental. And you know, it's interesting because if you get if if you can get people in that discussion and they don't realize it's politics, then they'll agree with you. Up until the moment they realize it's politics, it's like, well, I, I didn't really mean that. <laughs> <laughs> because because I need the government to make you do what I want you to do. Yeah, that that's my favorite. I was like, good ideas don't need force. If your idea was so great, you know, if you try to tell me between two ideas, hey, do you want to go hang out with me in this trash heap or do you want to hang out with me on a nice sunny beach? I'm going to pick the sunny beach because that's a good choice. Right. You didn't have to force me. You just asked. Right. If it's a good choice, you don't need force. 
Yeah, and you know, kind of circling back to the whole coronavirus thing, I think there's I think there's some wisdom there that as a society we could kind of to to look at instead of, you know, we need somebody to pass a law and close the gym. Maybe we could spend a little bit more energy giving people good information about the coronavirus and then let people make decisions and take the precautions that they feel are necessary. And I think most people are going to try to make decent decisions because I don't really think anybody wants to get a virus. Yeah. Um, And But one of the things that, that I've been thinking about, and I'd like to see if you agree with this, that one of the biggest problems with this whole coronavirus thing when we talk about being able to make decisions is we're not getting good information. And I wonder, and of course there's no way we can know the answer to this, but I wonder if in a free society we would have better information because it wouldn't all be funneled through government agencies. Because basically all of the, all of the information that we get comes through the CDC or the WHO or these government institutions, which are basically like funnels. And now it's gotten to the point that like, if you post something on Facebook that goes against the mainstream narrative, like the, they cover it up and fact check it. Fact check. I'm using air quotes around that. <laughs> yes. And, it, you know, it's another example of the centralization of authority makes it so we don't get good information, that we can't vet information. I, I really wonder if we wouldn't have better, more reliable information if it wasn't for the government. Um, I actually tend to agree with you. I just think that, yeah, in a free society, because my favorite is seeing the argument now, and we have so many idiots around. This is why uh, anarchy would never work. And I saw that comment, and I just uh, prayed at that moment, told told God, please stop me from telling this person that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard, and then just kind of close for Facebook and let that one go. Because I think it's not so much that people aren't ready for it. It's just how this all started. You're right. The mainstream media was basically like a virus. We're all going to die. Right. And so that made everybody panic instead of going and they didn't even know. And they still don't know everything about this virus. So just the news is coming out differently every day. Okay. Wear a mask, wear gloves. And then all of a sudden I've got my work email from OSHA that we shouldn't wear gloves. We should just wash our hands a lot. And I'm like, that's what I said in the first place when it comes to viruses, just wash your hands and things like that. So I think that the news didn't help at all because we kept getting weird information and that caused people to freak out. So then you ended up with this divide. There were people who were just normal people that weren't libertarians at all. That said, you know what? I was going to comply with, you know, staying in my house and not going anywhere until you told me I could not. And these are normal people that have never been liberty leaning at all. And that caused them to act this way. So I was just thinking if they wouldn't have tried this fear mongering campaign, and the government decided, oh, this is perfect. Let us take this and use this as a, an opportunity to s- steal more power. Then we wouldn't be in this situation. I think people genuinely, genuinely would have been like, okay, I'd rather stay home. I'm scared. I'll stay home. Or if I'm on the street and see other people that want to be out, well, I'll go ahead and stay six feet away just out of courtesy. I mean, I do that automatically now because I go running in the morning and I'm not going to have my spit droplets flying everywhere. I don't know if I'm asymptomatic, but I think people would have acted reasonably if we wouldn't have had the mainstream media just given the scare campaign. Yeah, I think you're right. And like you said, the draconian you must do this because there's something in, in, I think – I don't. I won't say everybody. I think, but in most of us, that there's just a little bit of. I own myself. Don't tell me what to do. 
and even if people don't articulate, I mean, I, I'm very comfortable saying that. I mean, I think that's a kind of a fundamental libertarian premise, but I think a lot of people wouldn't say that because they think it sounds mean, but that's how they really believe, you know, and it's the the kind of thing is, you know, you see the, the, the sign on the park bench, that says wet paint. What's the first thing you want to do? You want to touch it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so, and so with the, with the draconian, we're going to clamp down on you. It's the old, uh, I think it was the first Star Wars when Darth Vader was talking to Fran Tarkenton. Fran Tarkin, Tarkenton? No, that was a quarterback. Yeah. Um, anyway, people that have seen the movie know what I'm talking about. And if you yeah, haven't certainly. seen the movie, then you know. But he, he says, you know, the harder you squeeze, the more star systems are going to slip through your fingers. And uh, I think we have definitely see that. And, and then, of course, you've got some of these politicians that are just sociopaths, and, and they've seized upon this as a great way to elevate their status and the Kentucky governor being chief among them. He Ugh. just drives me crazy. He supposedly likes this, this big sex symbol now. Ew. <laughs> right? No. Yeah. So my wife says, I, I can't judge things like that, but um, yeah, no thanks. I mean, I may be the wrong sexuality for that, but no, I still, no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that pretty much, I think, covers. We could probably sit here and talk about stuff all night, but I don't want to. I don't want to keep you. I know you probably just got home from work out there on the left coast, and it's almost time for me to go to bed because I'm old and. Oh, it's about yeah. around what nine o'clock, something like yeah, that. Nine, almost nine thirty here. So. Yeah, that's around my bedtime too. <laughs> <laughs> We're all fuddy duddies. But I really do appreciate you taking a little time to come on the show, and uh, it's been a great discussion. Peace out, and don't let the crazy government people make you crazy. Well, you stay safe out there. Don't let COVID come into your house and uh, attack you somehow. No no Rona here. No Rona. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks again. A special thank you goes out to Mike Meharry for having me on for that interview. And if you guys enjoyed what you heard and you would like to hear more from Mike, you can go ahead and check out his blog and his podcast at godarchy.org. That's G-O-D-A-R-C-H-Y dot org. And until next time, love one another. <laughs>